Have you ever experienced anything that was perfect? Have you ever experienced anything that was perfect? <laughs> Can be a loaded question, right? What is perfect? You ever think about that? We talk about uh, perfection. We say this word, oh, it was, it was just a, I was on the river fly fishing that day. It was a perfect morning. And I caught the perfect brown trout and got to fight him and all that good stuff. Or maybe some of you ladies, I was walking through, I don't know what stores you use, Kohl's maybe or something. I don't know where you shop. And it was this perfect dress and it fit me and it was, it was just perfect. We use that a lot, but what, what is perfect or what is perfection? I used Google this week to, to figure out the definition of perfect. And I want you to listen to this definition. This is one of the, the definitions that I found. The condition, state, or quality of being free or as free as possible from any flaws or defects. Is that perfect? As close as possible? Hmm. I think I've said this before. We have a saying in the South, close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, cow chips, and slow dancing. Right? Some people get that. I'll move on. But that's really not perfection, is it? Here's another more accurate definition that I found. This definition, it says, is a flawless state where everything is right. I like that definition better. A flawless state where everything is right. Now, let me ask again. Have you ever experienced anything that was perfect? Hmm. Maybe by the first definition, we've experienced something. Man, it was so close and and, and, and this is close as we can get to perfect, so I'm just going to call it perfect. But it, by definition, it's not really truly perfect. And oftentimes we can come really close, but not absolute. The reason is, is we can't get perfect, but we can get really, really close, is because we live in a fallen, broken world. Perfection in and of ourselves, in our world, was lost at the fall. We live in a fallen world. It's been broken by sin. And, and the truth is, perfection is unattainable in this world apart from God. But it's interesting, as we read our Bibles, you see perfection and this word perfection and perfected and things are being perfected in us and God uses this word in His book, talking to us, explaining who He is and who we should be and He uses this word perfect or perfection. In our passage today, John uses it a lot. In fact, I think there's about three different times he says it in the rest of chapter 4. We tend to think of perfection as something beautiful or maybe exact. And, and I wouldn't disagree with that definition that, that we use almost perfect. That this thing's just almost exact and, and, and things are very beautiful. However, I believe that the true biblical per definition of perfection has the meaning of freedom from defect. Freedom from defect or fault or shortcoming. 
In fact, when you look at the word to a word study, it, in the biblical definition of, of perfection, it's in essence maturity. Perfection. Hmm. John's spoken a lot about love throughout 1 John. John kind of talks like this, doesn't he? Kind of talks in circles. You talk about something, you know you're going to hear it again. And John does this, and he talks about love again. In fact, this is the third major time that John talks about love. And in, in our passages today, we're going to look at perfect love. His words today are a great encouragement for us. A great encouragement for us. They're encouraging for believers, those that have put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus. And if you're not a believer here today, I want you to be encouraged in fact, I want you to, to know and experience that there can be perfect love that you can experience. And you can do that today. If God wills that, you can do that today. And that's my prayer for us today. And this is what we're going to look at. What we're going to see in this passage is perfect love. We're going to see its foundation. We're going to see its expression. And we're going to see its embrace. And we're going to see how perfect love is shared. Because this is what John talks about in the rest of chapter 4. You guys ready? Yes. i got about three people over here and one right here. I'm going to give you a minute. First John 4, start verse 7. You guys ready? Yes. Amen. Here we go. Let's read God's Word here. First John 4, start with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has, has been born of God... And knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Let me pause there for a second. If you highlight, underline those last three words that I read right there, you need to highlight, star, underline, circle, put a big arrow to it. That is our foundation right there that God is love. Verse 9 In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe, that, believe the love that God has for us. God is love. There it is again. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so also, we, uh, we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has, has seen cannot love God.
whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from, we have from, from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's ask God to bless our time this morning. Father in heaven, you are holy. You are righteous. You are sovereign. You deserve every ounce of praise that we could ever muster. And Father, all glory is yours. And we just want to take a moment to praise you. For you are a God of love. And we are so thankful that you are driven by that. That this characteristic of, of who you are, you're driven by that love. And that you have, you have made yourself known to us and you've called us into that. And Father, my prayer is that, that your love just drench us this morning. Those that know your saving grace and those that not yet don't. Father, I pray that, that you would drench us with that this morning. That we would see the goodness of who you are and your love. That you are the foundation of perfect love. That your perfect love is manifested through your Son. And, and that you call us into that. You invite us into that perfect love through faith in Jesus. And Father, you call us and you equip us. To carry out and share that perfect love with others. So Father, help us. Help us to be who you've called us to be by fixing our eyes upon you and your glory and your majesty and your holiness alone, Father. That is, that is my prayer today. Would you, would you help us in doing that today? Father, I know that we tell you that we love you and we do. But my prayer is that you help us to love you more and help us to love our neighbors the way that you love us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. I've kind of shared with you where I'm going this morning. We're going to look at first kind of just chunks, just work through this passage. And I want to look at verses 7 and 8 first. And I told you to kind of underline, highlight, circle those three words that God is love. John opens... This section, of Christ, uh, this, this section of Scripture by this word beloved, and he's done it several times, and I love this word. Because it's not just John, this pastor, this shepherd, this, this apostle, this disciple of, of, of Jesus saying, hey, I love you to his audience. He is. He said, hey, you are my beloved. I love you. I'm sharing this goodness with you because I love you. But also, also in that word beloved, this is God's word. He's saying, you are loved by the creator of all things. This is what he says when he says beloved, loved ones. And then he says, we are to love one another because if we are loved by God, then we are by default to love others. But that's not always easy. It's not always easy, is it? And the reason is we often miss the foundation of love. We try to put a worldly spin, a worldly aspect on how we love others. And what John is telling us here in the very beginning of this passage here is that, that, that you've got to throw the world's definition of love out the window and we need to look at the true definition, the foundation of love, and that is, that is God Himself. God is perfect love. He's the foundation of true love. John says here that, in fact, uh, we are incapable of truly loving without knowing God and His perfect love. I think that kind of settles the argument, right? Our worldly definition of love is a bunch of junk if it doesn't align with God's definition of love. He is the foundation 
of love. True, perfect love is God's nature. It is his character. And when John says God is love, he means that God defines love. He defines it. And oftentimes what we try to do is we try to put our definition or we try to impose on God a human view of love. Our view of love is limited. It's imperfect. But God transcends any human limitations. Praise God for that. Amen? I want to to show you this, just a, a little bit of an example. I'll go all the way back to the beginning. I want you to take a look at creation. God's perfect love is manifested in creation. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Here's, here's what we see in this. Perfect and complete. Remember the definition we talked about? Love, or this perfection, it's, 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 it's complete. It's without defects. This is the way God created all things, and He did this out of His love. God created all things out of His nature of love. And to understand this deeper, we have to realize that God did not create, He did not need to create anything. We have to understand this. Is God going, oh, I, I got to have something here, so maybe I'll, I'll create the heavens and the earth, and that way I'll have something that will bring, that, that I need. God doesn't need it. We have to understand that. God does not need it. He did it out of His nature of love. He's not a God that needs you or me. Let me say that again. God is not a God that needs you or needs me. If God had a need, He would not be God. Amen? The triune God is absolutely and perfectly all-sufficient in Himself, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you want to look at absolute exact perfect love you look at the trinity you look at how the father loves the son and the son loves the father and the spirit loves the father and the son and all work together there these three persons one god and he does not need us if so he would not be perfect and nor would his love i love what psalm 50 verse 12 says if i were hungry (laughs) this is god speaking if i were hungry i would not tell you the for the world and its fullness are mine. Psalms 8 verse 4, he says this, won't be on the screen. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? If you're taking notes, just write Psalm 8 down. You need to read Psalm 8. God does not need us, yet he does love his creation. He loves His creation. If you read all of Psalm 8, you see this. The psalmist says that God is, God's glory is set above. This is what it says. It says, glory is set above the heavens. And, and, and although he asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? God is mindful of man. He created all things and He gave mankind dominion of, of His creation. Then he crowned him. The psalm 8 says he crowned him with glory and honor. This is God's general love through common grace that everyone experiences. And it is, it is a great and amazing love. Psalm 145.9 says the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. It's the nature of God to love. 
But things are not perfect in this world, are they? They're not perfect. That's due to sin entering the world, the fall. Flaws and defects entered with sin. Perfection in this world was out the window, outside of God. It's, it's, we have ruined this perfection. When God said He made all things and everything was good, He said it was very good. That means God says it was perfectly made and we, we messed that up. In fact, here's what we do. You want to boil it all down. What we do is we ruin the perfect relationship that we have with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We ruin that by sin. harmony between mankind and God was broken. And we all are affected by that, by the fall. You sin, I sin, we all sin. This relationship's broken. And we're all affected. But God's perfection's not. Because we fail, God does not cease to be perfect. He's still sovereign. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He's still perfect, and His perfect love is still perfect. He is still sovereign, and His sovereignty is, is a manifestation of His perfect love. I love what John Piper says about this, about God's sovereignty. He says, God's sovereignty is His right and power to do all that He decides to do. You know what God decides to do? Show His perfect love. To His grace, His mercy, His justice, and even His wrath. That is God's love, His perfect love. Job 42.2 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That is God's sovereignty. He orchestrates all the circumstances of life and all their wonder, beauty, failures, trials, and difficult circumstances that reveal the evidence of God's perfect love. And although we're in an imperfect world, the God of perfect love is at work at all times. Let me say that again, because you need to hear it. I need to hear it. Although we live in a broken, imperfect world, because of God, of who He is, and His sovereign nature, His perfect love is at work all the time, in every circumstance. You may be sitting there going, God, why is this happening to me? No, if you hope and trust is in Jesus, His love is at work in your life. He's allowing you to experience something because He loves you and cares for you. Sometimes that's hard to trust in. That's because we live in an imperfect world and our realm is imperfect, but trust in the one that is not. He's at work in and through and over and under and around all things for His glory and our good that put our trust in Him. And let me, let me just say this too, because we have to understand this. This is, this is foundational for, for good theology. Remember, we talked about good theology uh, just a few weeks ago. 
Can I just say this? this, this the, I hope you can kind of wrap your mind around this. And, and honestly, when we begin to think and understand and grasp this concept, it will truly transform how we understand Scripture and how we live our lives and all of this, how we love and how we share and all of those things and who we are as Christians. Let me say this. God is first and foremost about His glory. His glory. In church... Let me tell you something, that is good for us. That is good for us. For God to be about His glory, and we get on board with that, and when we are about God's glory, it is always, always good for us. It ain't always easy, but it is always good for us. We talked about this in one of our life groups last week, and I told them this, and I'll make this promise to you. If you can prove that I'm wrong in that, I'll quit my job today. I don't think you can, though. We are about God's glory. Because He is about His glory. And the reason is, is because His love is perfect. All that we are and all that we have and all that we can be for all eternity is found in God's perfect love love. He is the foundation of it because He is perfect. Look at verses 9 through 11. Pull some things out of there. In verses 9 through 11, John says that God's love was made manifest in the coming of Jesus. God saw and knew the brokenness of the world. He knew that we would would rebel against Him, and He still knows that we rebel against Him today, but His love is still perfect. And we see this in the coming of Christ. This is second thing. Perfect love is manifested in Christ. Perfect love is manifested in Christ. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I almost want to pencil in there that God shows his perfect love for us. And then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and did it perfectly. It's not a mistake. It's not an afterthought. See, Jesus is the preeminent manifestation of God's love. Jesus, the second person of the triune God, came in the flesh as the perfect, perfect plan and manifestation of God's love towards a broken and rebellious creation. And this was God's sovereign plan. Remember we talked about that? It's His sovereign plan and perfect love that Jesus would come and be this, what John says, this propitiation for our sin. You probably go home and, what was that word? Propitiation? We don't use that one in a normal conversation, do we? Here's what this means. The word propitiation simply means a satisfaction of God's wrath. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's the satisfaction of God's wrath. Perfect, full, complete, lacking nothing. This is what this means. This is... This is in Christ coming, His perfect 
coming, his perfect life, his perfect death, his perfect resurrection satisfied perfectly God's wrath for all those who put their faith in him. Amen for that. This is God's plan all along. We can get into some deep discussions, but I don't have time for that this morning. About all of, of that, of why sin came and all of those things. But here's the simple fact of that. It's God is sovereign and we're not. Talked about that. God is sovereign and we're not. And we do well to rest in that comfort. God and His sovereign love had the plan all along to come and be this propitiation to save us. All along. It's a biblical history before it even happened. If you would look at Isaiah 53, I'm just going to read a few verses in here, but I encourage you to, to even write down Isaiah 53 and read through that chapter this week. Isaiah 53, starting at verse 6, says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Remember, there's how we have been imperfected. We are imperfect in this. We have had this separation between the true love and this relationship with God. But God's perfect love comes in here, and Isaiah talks about this. He says, We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, living stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet he, yet it, well listen to this, verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Written some 700 years years before Jesus came. God's perfect love was manifested some 700 years before Christ came to be this propitiation. But it goes further than, back than that. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to this, verses 4 and 5. Even as He chose us in him, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us. This is before the foundation of the world for adoption to Him as, soon, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Jesus this is Jesus. This is, this is what we see, this perfect example of absolute, complete, perfect love that God has for His kids. It lacks nothing. It lacks nothing. It's not like me and how I love my kids, and I love my kids. I die for my kids, but I mess up. I fail at loving my kids the way that I should. And my wife, I fail at those things. God does not. It's perfect. It's absolute. There are no leftovers. There are no mistakes. God doesn't go, oh no, 
I forgot this. No. He covers it. He doesn't leave a sin out. When Christ went to the cross, He took it all. Every bit of it. All of it. Nothing left. Perfect. Complete. That's why Jesus said it's finished. When He says it's finished, it means there's nothing left. Church, do we know this? Do we understand this? Jesus is this manifestation of perfect love. Not only for God for Himself, because His wrath is satisfied, this propitiation, but ours is satisfied. We don't have to have that. We don't take that because Christ has done that for us. God in turn is perfect love for Himself and for us that have faith in Him. Complete, perfect, nothing left. God's love is perfect and perfectly manifested in the coming of Jesus. It's perfect in the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's perfect. That's what John says this. Jesus says this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christian, Jesus did that for you. Non-Christian here this morning. That can be for you. Trust in Jesus in this perfect manifestation. His sacrifice. The sacrifice and atonement or this propitiation is perfect. It lacks nothing. It's complete. It does not have an expiration date either. It has no condition or need from us other than embracing that perfect love from God. Here's the, here's the thing. If you try to add to that, you make it imperfect. You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches you add nothing to your salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. You need to put your faith in Jesus. Trust in Jesus, this perfect sacrifice of Christ. Let's move to verses 12 through 16. This is perfect love and faith is what I call this chunk here. It's bringing us to this next section of our passage. And, and John describes, what John describes here is faith in verses 12 through 16. Talking about not being able to see God, yet we, we should love one another. And we know and we abide in God, because we've, He's given us this Spirit, and we, we have seen and testified that the, the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. This is, this is faith. This is not just head knowledge of I know what God has done. This is, is acting on and embracing this perfect love. Faith is perfect love embraced. Having faith in Jesus is us taking hold of that perfect love and having, a, having it transform who we are, how we live, and all that we are about. This is faith. John says that although no one has seen God, believers experience and know God through faith. Sounds like Hebrews 11.1, doesn't it? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
And John says, this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. What the Bible teaches here is faith is not something that you muster up on your own. Faith is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. I can prove it to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, by, by faith we're saved through uh, uh, by grace we're saved through faith as a gift. Romans 12.3 says that we are given a measure of faith. And this is what people, people ask, well, how much is a measure? I don't know, but I know it's enough. I don't know what a measure is. The Bible's very ambiguous. It's just very, it doesn't tell us how much a measure is, but what it does say is it is enough. And we're to use that and grow our faith, but what God gives us is enough that God redeems us with that faith when we Put that faith in Jesus. It's a gift given through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. This is God in His perfect love, enabling sinful man to embrace the perfect love of God. I love what the Gospel Coalition says about salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this to you. The Gospel Coalition is an article I read uh, this past week, and, and I said, this is so good. This is really good. It says, salvation is purposed by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit's agency in salvation, all that Christ has accomplished brings no value to us. As Scripture uniformly presents, the Spirit graciously, effectively, and permanently gives us Christ Jesus and every blessing He has secured. Our salvation is a in Christ alone, our salvation is by His Spirit alone. Amen. Do you see, I hope that you guys are seeing this perfect love kind of come together, what John talks about here. Are, are you seeing this? This foundation and manifestation and then God applying it to us. And then, then what we're going to see here in a moment is how God commands us to apply it to others. This perfect love. Faith is perfect love embraced because it takes perfect love to enable us to embrace it and have saving faith. If you look at verse 15 in our text in 1 John, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. It's very reminiscent of Romans 10, isn't it? Verses 9 and 10. It says that because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It is for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Very similar, isn't it? What do we confess and believe? What do we confess and believe? We confess and believe that we are absolutely and horribly hopeless apart from Christ's perfect love manifested on the cross and in the resurrection. What do we believe? We believe that the Father has sent His Son, Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. This is perfect love manifested in Christ and perfect love embraced through faith. And I can't go any further without asking this question. Do you believe it? Do you believe that? Because honestly, we can't go any further 
until we answer that question. Do you believe in Jesus? Is all of your hope in Jesus? Does your eternity hinge? It does. Your eternity hinges on how you answer that question. Do you trust in this perfect love manifested in Christ? If the answer is yes, let's move on. If not, we need to talk after the service. I'll stay here as long as you want. So let's look at perfect love lived out. When we grasp this, when we understand that God is the foundation of perfect love, Christ is a manifestation of perfect love, and God gives us, grants us access to this perfect love through faith, it changes us. This is perfect love lived out. John says that if we have embraced this perfect love through faith in Jesus, we should be confident and fearless. Here's what I want you to do in, 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 your, in, your, in your Bible here. Underline those, those words. Confident and fearless. You have confidence in the day of judgment. Confident. There is no fear in love. Underline, no fear in love. Perfect love. Cast out fear. We should be confident and fearless. And here is why. Because of the wrath of of God has been paid. Remember that word propitiation? It's paid. This is, I think this is where we hang up as Christians. We get it in our mind. I know Jesus has paid for my sins. We have a hard time living like it. We live frail lives, scared lives. And John says, be bold, be fearless, and do it with, with love that God has given you. We should rest, rest in this word propitiation. Rest in it. We have no fear on the day of judgment, John says, because of the perfect love in Christ. It is the gospel. We have no fear. We should be Christian. You should be longing for the day Christ returns. In eager expectation and hopeful. The only thing that should hold you back is that you know people that don't know the joy and hope that you have. We should be expectant of this. John says, this is, this is what he tells us, we should be hopeful. We should be confident in that. You guys remember Romans 8, 1? Verses 1 and 2? There is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free he set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You're free. Christian, live like you're free. It looks different. It should look different than you were before. And John says of this, we should be confident and fearless in our living and loving others because we are free to be who God created us to be. And that is to make much of Him. It's to make much of Him. And there's great joy in that. But here is the problem. Here is the thing. And I'm going to say some things because I love you. And I speak to my own heart when I say these things as well. But I'm going to say some hard things this morning because I love you. And I know that God loves you. And He loves me and He cares for His church. 
Many Christians are not fearless. They are weak. They're not confident. They're so insecure. The reason is that they apply, try to apply the world's uh, boundaries on their faith in God. There's a problem with that. They're not bold. They're overly timid. And it comes from a lack of confidence in God's perfect love in the gospel. Christian, if you are a Christian and God has saved you, listen to me, He has performed a miracle in you. And if He can do that, you have got to be fearless because you have nothing to fear. He's changed you. He's made you His own and nothing can take that away. So why are we timid? Why are we insecure? Why are we afraid? Why do we lack confidence in the gospel? See, many claim to know the love of Jesus, but we often have a hard time showing it. Here's some things that I want to challenge us. Here's some examples of what I mean. A lot of Christians don't come early to church to help set up or meet and greet new people, even though it's awkward. Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes it's awkward. But here's the thing, that's okay. I'm pretty weird. But here's the thing. Jesus comes to us and meets us in our really awkward moments. We're not confident enough. Most Christians are not confident enough to invite people to church or to a life group. Not confident. But here's the thing. Jesus invites us to be an integral and eternal part of His church. Most Christians don't befriend the neighbors who are lost and living in sin and are on a path to hell because they're afraid of what others may think. Yet Jesus ate with prostitutes and thieves and sinners. He didn't care what anybody thought. He met with you. And He meets with you today. We're afraid, most Christians are afraid to joyfully and sacrificially give to their church and to others because they're afraid they may miss out on something that we can have for ourselves. What if I don't have enough for this or that or whatever? Yet Jesus, Jesus gave it all up to come for you that your joy may be complete. A lot of Christians are afraid. So people call themselves Christians are afraid to join a local church because they're afraid of commitment or maybe, maybe they're going to be disappointed by what the preacher says on a Sunday morning or, or, or maybe that, that family that maybe they don't get along with or whatever. Or maybe they're, they're afraid to be challenged or, or walk through sin or something like that. Or, but they're going to be disappointed because, because the church is messy. They don't do it. They set up this wall of protection. I'm just not going to do that. It's too messy. Make it hurt. But Jesus was fully committed to us despite our messiness. 
And he was stricken for our messiness. Jesus was hurt. Yet he gave it all up to come for you and for me. And he establishes the universal church. By stripes we're healed, Isaiah says. He was stricken. Jesus was heard to establish his church. The universal church that's made up of local churches that do life together. Messy life together. To make much of Jesus. A lot of Christians, they don't lovingly confront sin and walk through repentance with others because we're afraid it'll be hard and messy. Or we won't know what to say or what to do. But Jesus, Jesus does that for us through others. And He promises to be with us. Remember Matthew 28? At the very end of that, the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them all that I've commanded you. And he ends with this. Behold, I am with you. I am with you to the end of the age. I don't go anywhere. I'm with you. We can be confident in that. We're afraid. A lot of Christians are afraid to give all of their lives over to Jesus and make, make Him non-ignorable by loving others. Because we want to be in control and we're we are afraid we may seem different than other people. Here's the thing, Christian. Christ died to make you different. You're supposed to be different. Jesus died and rose again so that we would be different. That we'd be the light of the world. A city on a hill. A light that's not under a basket. Be salt and light. Christian, when Christ paid your debt, it was in full. And if you believe that, it should make you fearless. It should make you confident. You should be fearless to truly love others the way that God loves you. Perfectly. That's pretty hard for us to do, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. We should be fearless in that. It's a command. It's not optional, Christian. This is not my saying, it's God's. Verse 21, and this is the commandment we have for him. Whoever loves God must, must also love his brother. How we love others is evidence of if we truly know Jesus. So I'll leave you with three questions. Normally it's more than that today on most Sundays, but i just leave you with three. Do you know this perfect love in Christ? Do you know this perfect love in Christ? Do you trust, here's number two, do you trust this perfect love in Christ? Because there's a difference in knowing it and trusting it. I know Hawaii's there, but I've never been there. Do you know this perfect love in Christ and do you trust this perfect love in Christ? And here's number three. Are you living, are you living in this perfect love in Christ? 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you and I thank you for your grace and your mercy this morning. I thank you that you love us unconditionally. Father, you call us your own. That you care for us. And you show your love for us in so many ways. But the greatest way is through Christ. His coming, His life, His teaching, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. I thank you for that word propitiation. That weird word propitiation. For what it means. For those that have our hope and our trust in you, that, that word means a lot for us. Hey God, my, my prayer is that we would be a church that is fearless and confident because we have nothing, nothing to fear. So Father, my prayer is that you make us fearless and you make us confident day by day by day. And Father, for those that don't know that, I pray that you are, you are changing their heart right now, that you are saving them right now, that they are running to you, that, they are having, that you are giving them that measure of faith, and it is in you and you alone. And Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can sing our praises to you and worship you and the joy that you give us through that. And may we not make light of that. May we, we embrace that to the fullest of our singing and our praising unto you. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen and amen.